0: Welcome to another episode of Built on Passion. I'm Drew, and today we're talking to Taysen Whitaker of Outdoor Vitals. We talk about how Outdoor Vitals has grown from selling just sleeping bags to a full range of ultralight products and the success of running a seven-figure crowdfunding campaign. Hey, Tayson, thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Tell us about Outdoor Vitals. Yeah, we're... Uh... We're an online direct-to-consumer-based business that's really focused on helping people lighten their backpack on trail, you know, increase comfort, and, and just increase confidence. I would say we're, we're, we're extremely passionate on, on just getting people outside. We, we feel that in, in this technology-filled world, it's, it's all about building people's confidence so that they, they trust themselves and will just go outside more frequently. Well, tell us a little bit about you and your background. I grew up here in Southern Utah, so grew up in a very small town, spent a lot of time outside, but I I wasn't actually a backpacker. Historically, my family did a lot of, you know, hunting, fishing, even, you know, riding around on ATVs and motorcycles, that kind of thing growing up. But I was just always outside, riding bikes, riding scooters, short ways from my house. I could be exploring some hills. And so spent a lot of time doing that. But in college, I got really interested in ultralight backpacking and and going farther into the backcountry, getting more secluded, getting more disconnected. And that really spurred off this this whole issue that I discovered, which is that that high end performance gear is phenomenal. Like I, I kind of saved up in college and bought a backpack, and was so shocked at how much better it was that it just kind of got flipped this light switch for me. Of man, if everyone had gear this good, like how many more people would just go outside? Or or and so then it, it kind of just spiraled from there to where I was like, okay, well my my back my sleeping bag at that point in time was nine pounds and would fill up a whole backpack just in and of itself. So I was like, okay, I need a down sleeping bag and just started to research and and um, eventually just got on this train of thought of, well, what if I could do this and do it direct to consumer, cut out that extra markup and just really focus on getting people quality gear, tying in education and transparency and just get more people outside. So in 2014, I, I literally started selling samples out of factories online and that was the start of the company just started to pour everything i had into it um at that point in time every every dollar i had every spare minute i had really went into this thing and building it and you know building this longer-term vision of of what i what i wanted to accomplish with it so
0: that's awesome i mean it's so true with um pretty much all outdoor sports i mean you know if you have a seven thousand dollar bike Uh, mountain bike it's going (laughs) to be you're gonna have a much better time like just you know any cheap bike to expensive bike the expensive bike is always going to give you just an easier ride and it's almost like a barrier of entry to the sport because it's so expensive you're not going to invest that up front early um, but you might hate it if you don't have the right equipment same thing backcountry skiing you know lighter skis and stuff like that Um, so I think that's so true but coming out of college you had a finance degree didn't you
1: yeah, yeah, I had a finance degree. I would have studied entrepreneurship if if it like had been an option where I was at, to be honest, but uh, went into finance and really, right as I graduated, I said, I've got two years to start a business or I'll go get a master's degree or do international business or something that I didn't want to do. <laughs> so a few weeks out of college, kind of had this rolling already and um, was like, I'm never going back, man. This has to work, you know, because I'm not going back to school. And so had a finance degree Spent a lot of time, even even as an eighteen year old kid, you know, I, I started doing door to door sales and just wanted to learn how how to sell things. And I was an introvert. I was a big time introvert. And so I just saw that as like a chink in my armor. So I kind of worked on that over the years. And, you know, between having that finance background, having some marketing experience, I uh, was able to 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 get the company off the ground and rolling and then from there just just optimize the products and 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 the brand. So that was a number of years ago now at this point.
0: What was what were the early stages of the company? What was kind of like the first few steps of getting rolling?
1: Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of of just lean, just keeping things really lean, especially in the beginning, right? So many people would come at me and say, you know, how do you do this? Like, this is so risky. This is so this. And I was like, I never once felt like there was risk. I really didn't. Um, and I think the reason why for that is, is to me, the the most important next step you take is what you need to learn today and study today, and and then if you do that, you eliminate those unknowns, those those fears, and that allows you to take the next step confidently and not maybe over leverage, right? Like true fear, whether it's you're trying to go backpacking or you're trying to start a business, is the unknowns, right? You switch off a light switch. What's scary about it? It's scary that I can't see. I, I don't know what's there. I don't know what's so. So if you can eliminate the, those unknowns, you you come into things confidently. So for me, it was it was this lean startup. It was literally buying. To start, I had $500. I bought three sleeping bags from, from three different factories, picked one, ordered three more, and my 500 bucks was gone, right? So at that point, I go and I sell three sleeping bags and I buy five. I sell those five sleeping bags, I buy 10. And it just rolled from there, just investing everything that I could back into this company to, to grow it. And that, that taught me so much, right? I mean, obviously it keeps you financially sound because you can't just go out there and let marketing get out of hand, or then you can't buy product on a, on a really small scale. But it taught me so much about, it it really was an education. And that's, that's how I see it, especially looking back now. So many people go, they start a business maybe for a couple of years, then they kind of sell it or it crumbles and then they start their second business. And that's where they have true success. Or, Or maybe they go work for another company And, um, kind of get an education and then they go start their businesses. For me, I see Outer Vitals as like a, as a 1.0 and a 2.0 project. The first, you know, 1.0 was get this thing off the ground, build something, you know, get to cash and, and, and make a difference in the purpose that that I was aimed to be. And so at that point in time, you know, we, we were the first, I don't know, I can't say first, but we're really the only guys selling a down sleeping bag for under a hundred dollars. And and that really got our foot in the door, got us rolling, and then from there, you know, we've continued to change and adapt and 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 whatnot, and and had a pretty big pivot around you know 2018 2019. What happened in 2018 2019? <laughs> well, at that point in time, you know, I would say a lot of the education pieces had come into play from running that business. You know, we had we had reached a, a seven figure year as a brand by that point, but we we released our first piece of apparel. So in the beginning, it was it was mainly sleeping bags. We built a tent, we built a backpack, but mainly the core business was sleeping bags. And everyone was asking us to release an apparel piece, so we did, and we did that on Kickstarter. So we did that on Kickstarter for for a few specific reasons. You know, one, we thought it would we could help with marketing and things like that. But two, we're now releasing a new line of product that's a substantial cost to, to get into apparel, right? There's, there's colors, there's, there's sizing, there's all these different elements and we're a private company, right? I'm I'm the sole owner of the company and we have to be profitable every year. We can't, you know, just throw money into things. We have to maintain that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's this element of, okay, let's, let's see if this is true. If, if, if this concept works, we released it out there and sure enough, it, it took off. We had a Kickstarter that did 750,000 on the Kickstarter. And then we put on Indiegogo and it broke a million dollars in pre-sales before we started shipping this piece. And that was this moment that, that I guess like I, 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 we took full advantage of it. I, I just jumped on that opportunity because then what I was able to do is really go pitch the top you know, A++ factories in the world, factories I knew were producing for the highest level brands out there and say, this is us, this is what we've done, you know, this is what we can do, you know, let us work with you. And thankfully, all of them said yes. So, you know, from that, we, we brought on a new fabric mill, new, new cut and sew facilities for apparel, backpacks, uh, wool provider, all of these things that we brought in um, based off of that story, as well as I had been, des- been designing all of the gear up to that point. And so I brought in a full time designer. And so between all of those things, it was a massive pivotal moment for us where in 2019, all those things are coming into fruition and we just hit the ground running. Designing the ge- designing new gear, redesigning old gear, and and opening up these opportunities for capabilities of what we could do, pushing product to levels that that were never achievable for us before, and um, really just elevating the brand as a whole. So that's kind of when we 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 jokingly say like that's Outdoor Vitals two That that realistically is what I always wanted to build, but when you're starting from scratch, when you're starting with five hundred bucks to invest into this side business, that's not the reality. You know, five hundred dollars now is is can be tiny sampling costs. You know what I mean? You got you got POs in the six figures, and and so like that wasn't a reality. But th- over time, it, it became a reality and allowed us to to build what you see today with Outer Vitals, which is was the goal all along. That's awesome. I like I like to see the like the result there
0: from Kickstarter, where you used it not just to kind of continue doing what you're doing, but almost transform the entire company by improving all of the products not just the one that you're launching because yeah that's definitely going to set you up for success. Did um were there any strategies during your Kickstarter that you used that you think helped it be so
1: successful? I think so. At that point we had run one previous Kickstarter and it had raised like in the $70,000 range and we'd we'd learned, right? So like there was there was an element of learning involved there. But the, the biggest thing with this one is we, we finally brought on some external marketing partners. And they really, co- I, I would say, they prodded us to spend a little bit more money on advertising. or a lot more money, really. Like they gave us really, we were looking at very real-time data every day and choosing to scale up, scale down. So we ended up spending a lot more money on ads. But, but the bigger part of that, I would say, was the actual video and script. I think we did a really good job with the video like telling a story, right? We we told just a great story that appealed emotionally to a lot of people, you know, kind of encouraged what they wanted to be encouraged and talked about things that they might be nervous about. And and the story there, I think, was was everything. I mean, it's not like it was a high marketing budget thing. I literally filmed and did the voice acting and, and all of that. I edited most of that video personally. And so it was it wasn't that. It was that connection, it was that story. So then when we were running ads, they were converting, right? So I, th- I think that was kind of the two, the twofold thing there. I think that using an outside third party is a double-edged sword for me, you know, maybe with that finance background, I'm always watching the numbers very closely to make sure we're not being unprofitable and to make sure that we're just, we're optimizing and doing the right decisions. But I will say the double-edged sword of that is there's, there's many campaigns out there that, maybe even think, even today, I would, I would argue that there's a lot of campaigns out there that have been successful that thought they were profitable on their campaigns and weren't, but they don't even know, right? Like, so the double-edged sword there is just pay attention to those numbers. Those outside third parties can offer fantastic advice. They can help you target and run ads at a way better level. But their main goal is to get you to spend more money because they make more money when you spend more money. So you have to keep your best interest at heart, know your numbers and, and execute. Yeah, that's definitely a trap that a lot of people in Kickstarter fall into. Is you know you don't necessarily know
0: all of the numbers. You don't know what the cogs are. You don't know what you know the landed goods are actually going to cost at the end of the day because it's it's a pre order, right? So you can right. you can uh, fall into a trap of you know spending a lot of advertising and getting a lot of money in pre orders, but then actually still losing money in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, and it, it's just worth it to cross your eyes and dot your t's there because. Let's say you're releasing a shirt and you think you've crossed, you know, you think you've got it all. You think, you know, the shipping costs, all this, it just takes one, one mishap, one, one overlook to, to mess that up. Because with a shirt, you bring that into the USA from, from anywhere in Asia, it's, it's a 32% tax right on top of those goods. Like that would tip over a Kickstarter campaign instantly if you weren't aware of it. Yep. Absolutely. Little stuff like that will
0: definitely get you. So post Kickstarter and kind of where you are with the brand now, what's been going on since then and with the Outdoor Vitals 2.0? And
1: what do you think the vision is for 3.0 in the future? <laughs> 3.0. Yeah, for 2.0, it, it was really just up leveling the product to this, to this next level. We're extremely performance focused on the products that we develop. You know, along with the company evolution, I would say there was an evolution even of how to say, like, like what I desired out of the products. Right? Like a hundred dollar sleeping bag now is not up to the standards that I think it was then, and and for me personally, but also for customers. We do live in this day and age where things that you really care about, people find a way to purchase. Um, like, if if you wanted that seven thousand dollar mountain bike you just talked about, for someone who's not a mountain biker, that's that's ridiculous. But for someone who is that's not out of the question at all. You'll find a way to to make it because you'll get the time in on that bike. And so for us, it was really this this turn to of just focusing on performance over all else. So, you know, one of our core values is performance, not price or performance, not fill in the blank. And so we spend a lot of time in the field testing gear. Typically I'm sleeping outside 30 nights a year, just testing gear, testing product, You know, and that's not the days hiking, that's just the nights in a tent that gives our customers a lot of confidence right because we we tell this story of transparency we do podcasts right we do videos we tell stories we 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 explain the whys behind things also that they can build confidence in the gear that we can inspire confidence in our customers and so we do we just spend a lot of time on performance and and so much of that comes into you know details about fabrics really like from the start of a project You know, it's not starting with okay. How do we cut and sew this? It's what's the base level of even yarns that we're using in this product, and then how are we weaving that into the fabric, and then how is that fabric coming into play? And so we've been able to get so granular, and and build just phenomenal products. Products that sometimes aren't possible otherwise. So we have a rain jacket, for instance, that called the the Tusher rain jacket. We have a three D printed backer on it, and we use two different membranes in that, and. As far as we know, no one's using two different membranes in a rain jacket, but we're optimizing and and, and mapping those for breathability in the piece and, and overall waterproofness. And then the 3D print backer on that is, is five times less heavy than a treacle backer or another backer that could go on the inside of that fabric. So what that allows us to do is build a product that is lighter, that we can put more weight of fabric into durability so that you're not ripping and tearing it in the field, that in-field performance. But all of that equates to a higher cost to produce. In fact, the same technology had been pitched to partners of the factories and, and the fabric mills we're working with, and they just said, we can't put that on a store shelf. That'd be a $400 rain jacket, right? But being direct-to-consumer, we were able to, to produce that at a $200 rain jacket, right? And so that's really what what we're all about at this point, is just developing these, these pivotal performance-jumping products that inspire people and build a lot of confidence people in the field and it's it's been it's been phenomenal we've been you know obviously the the company's been growing at a tremendous rate and and, a, and just the brand itself is getting more and more highly loyal followers
0: yeah that's um what you mentioned with the direct-to-consumer aspect is one of the huge advantages of not having a retail middleman is you're able to either you, you can either pass the the profit onto yourself or the better product onto the customer and it's awesome to see that that's that's the option that you've chosen to kind of put out a much better product at a more reasonable price than, you know, what you would see from front of the big companies. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's interesting too cuz I I do spend a ton of time in design. So I spend a lot of time, you know, working with our designer, testing product you know, I just was in Vietnam a couple of weeks ago, walking factories. And every time we start a project, especially if it's a factory that doesn't have a long term relationship with us yet, they all ask, what's your target price point on this product? And they will ask that multiple times. We'll say we don't have one. Next email comes in, respond to a few things. What's your target price point on this product? They're they're so accustomed to working with retail based brands that have a target price point because they've already got a target price point with a retailer that that's that's the number one thing that does that determines um, decisions, right? Determines what fabrics they can use, you know, what features they can build into products, and so on and so forth. And so for us, we're able to design products unencumbered by those outside influences of of things like price point. To us, the price mm-hmm. lands where it's going to land. Yep, exactly.
0: I, I've noticed that, especially with bigger box retailers. I've you know companies that we've worked with over the years who have grown you know to huge levels you buy their product direct you know a couple years ago and it's an awesome product and then you buy their product in target and you're like this is not anywhere near as good as it was when i bought it a couple years ago direct from them Um, likely because when they go into retail i'm sure that the retail has those targets of this is how much it's going to cost you just got to make it work and at the end of the day it's almost like that can almost harm your brand because oh, yeah. you might not buy that product again, even though it's an awesome product if you buy it direct. But, you
1: know, sometimes you can just leave a bad taste in your mouth like that. Yeah, I mean, my my father-in-law is a contractor and he swears that if you buy a DeWalt tool from Home Depot, it's not the same tool as if you buy it from like a, a wholesale supply shop or, you know, something like that. He says they, they put in cheaper components, they break away faster. So, like he will only mm-hmm. buy even even within a brand, right? Even within a brand, he'll yep. only buy Dewalt tools from specialty shops, not Home Depot.
0: Yep, exactly. And when you have such large purchase orders, like you mentioned, like like large big box retailers, you can afford to almost you know build a, a specific spec for that particular purchase because um, it's a big enough order. But what advice would you give to someone who wanted to get? into kind
1: of the outdoor equipment or ultralight industry i think my my advice in in retrospect right because i think there's a lot of things it's always hard to like go backwards and judge yourself because hindsight is is 2020 vision right like you, but i think what we did right starting there and then i'll get to what i think we did wrong what i think we did right is we watched our numbers we we stayed financially sound we kind of touched on this but but to me staying a private company was crucial crucial to long-term success like at the size of the company we are today like i could quit i could retire and never work again i could i could i could be done right and there's so much like sexiness and attractiveness to that but but that's not my vision for the company my vision for the company is to keep it private because i have this massive belief and faith that by staying private and staying profitable it's better for the consumer in the long run. I'm sure you've seen companies out there that run massive, massive marketing campaigns and convince thousands of people that their product is the best product. Well, unfortunately, that not, that's not always the case, right? The product really needs to speak for itself, not these massive marketing budgets that can come from venture capital or you know, fill in the blank. And so to me, letting that product speak for itself is really important and letting you know, not swaying customers by just having who can spend the most, who can convince the most amount of people, who can get the, the most expensive athlete into their shoes, you know, or whatever it is like that doesn't determine things in the long run. It's a short run, short run poll. And, um, so for us stay financially sound, sound, stay in a position to stay venture capital free. I, I, I just from the onslaught, like make that decision because in the long run, I, I feel like it's, it's the most important thing for, if you want to build a legacy, if you just want to go make a million bucks, then don't even worry about starting in the outdoor space. There's way easier places to make a million bucks because there's a lot of competition here. So stay financially sound. I think you've got to ask yourself, you know, how can you do things differently? If you go do the same thing and expect a better result than someone else, it's it's basically the same concept of doing the same thing and expecting a different result, which is the definition of insanity, right? So So see what you can do to flip the script, see what you can do to be unique. And then what I think that that you know with Outer Vitals 1.0 and 1.2 or 2.0, just obsess about product. You know, don't worry as much about getting a lot of product out there. Worry more about getting even one product out there that's just really, really good. That's probably the biggest advice I would give to myself looking backwards now would just be that aspect. Build the best product you possibly can, and and it will it'll give you something you know better to sell so your marketing dollars will go farther but also you'll get so much more organic growth and you know with the example of that loft tech product to have one single product to a million dollars in sales in in a year was pivotal for us and and it was something that personally I don't think I had the mental growth yet or, or I don't know growing up in a small town everything's like big to me right so I just didn't think that was possible right like I didn't think that that was a reality and so that really kind of flipped that switch for me of you know it only takes one amazing product to to have a massive massive impact so that'd be my advice awesome i love it well before we
0: wrap it up i want to give you one more chance to plug the company and tell everyone how to find you
1: yeah so again we're after vitals we're we're just obsessed about performance based outdoor gear if you're interested in in getting outside disconnecting from tech and reconnecting with yourself you know come check us out we've got a youtube channel we do a lot of education pieces there sometimes we run challenges throughout the year. So if you want to challenge yourself to go backpacking, uh, you can join us there, but I'd say if you're listening to this podcast, you're already a podcast listener, go check out our podcast called the live ultralight podcast there. We do interviews, but we also do things like deep dive on products and really breaking down design behind products and, and just get nitty gritty on some of those things. So whether you want to hear about someone who's, you know, done some, some massive efforts in their life or big hikes or, 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 uh, you know, set some fastest known time on trails, you can hear that, or you can just really get into the weeds on, on what it takes to make a great product. So again, that's the live ultralight podcast. Perfect. Love it. Well, Tayson, it was great talking to you today. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast as well. I think you, you make some great content and, uh, it's been my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Built On Passion Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are still listening right now, you need to leave a review. Like seriously, if you are committed enough to listen to the outro, then you must be a fan and we would love to hear your thoughts. Be sure to share this episode with a friend who's thinking about starting a passion project business. And as always, tune in next week for another episode.